Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. How many of you have ever heard of the name Stephen Covey before? Stephen Covey, raise your hand if you've heard that name before. If you've been in the business background, you are familiar with uh, his uh, works there. He was an American businessman. He has passed away a few years ago, and he was author of several books, one of them being The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You've probably read of it, or you've at least heard of it before. But within this famous book here, Kobe states that we live in a generation in which managing time itself is no longer the aim, but managing where to focus that particular time is our aim. As a result of this, Kobe developed the famous time management matrix. And so we have a graphic of that, and you may be familiar with this. And so in, in order for mankind to best utilize their time, he comes up with this matrix there in order to divide up many different categories. You have the urgent important category, and that is reserved for most urgent of crises. You have the not urgent important categories reserved for the slower paced items such as personal growth, reading, those kind of things. You have the urgent not important category. It's reserved for things like phone calls, horrible dreaded emails, things you have to respond to, last minute meetings, and of course you have the not urgent, not important items, and those are things that you accomplish last on your list, entertainment, so on and so forth. So there's been many attempts by people over the years to categorize their priorities in accordance to a list that may be similar to this, but oftentimes what we find ourselves doing is placing things that are listed in the not urgent, not important category to the urgent, important category. For example, maybe you've been caught up in doing something, you've been caught up in an important task, and you receive a phone call from a friend. It's like, hey, listen, we got this video game tournament. Why don't you uh, join me in this, or let's go on this shopping spree. And you know, you've been there, I've been there not necessarily video games, but other things, you drop everything and then you focus on that, right? It all of a sudden became this important, urgent thing that you must accomplish. But when it comes to our spiritual life, God gives us a certain set of priorities, and some of those priorities are certainly more important and more urgent than others. But all of our priorities, all of the spiritual priorities, there's one thing that falls in the urgent, important category, and that is the spread of the gospel. Hey, Bryce, could you do me a favor and turn off mic number one? I think there's a little bit of feedback that's going on here. If you were to do a search all throughout scripture, there are several implications that let us know that this notion about spreading the gospel is of the utmost importance and urgency. For instance, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says that the cost of discipleship is so great and so urgent that a person must be willing to give up everything in order to become a follower of Christ. You've heard this story before, right? You've heard this account. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, it says, Then he said one to another, Jesus, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus then said to him, Let the dead bury their dead, but you go and you preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And when you hear this and you read this, you're like, man, like, Lord, you are, you are being unreasonable. You are hardcore. You're not even letting this man bury his own father in order to come follow you. 
Well, the point that Jesus is making throughout all of this is that you must be willing to give up everything to become a follower of Christ. He is highlighting the urgency that we have as Christians to spread the gospel. But what makes this message so urgent is that as a person, once they pass away, there is no other chance. Once they pass away, there is no turning back. The author of Hebrews states in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed for man once to die, then there is the judgment. There is no deciding after that point. There is no purgatory. There is none of that. It's once you die, it's it. So the choice that you make here on this side of eternity will affect where you will spend the rest of eternity. As our church sadly experienced this past week through the sudden loss of John Stevens, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We have no idea how long we'll live. And so it is certain that the proclamation of the gospel falls within this important and urgent category. So as we close out our missions conference this morning, for the next few moments, what I'd like to do is is share for you the vision that I have uh, that the Lord has laid upon my heart regarding church planting here at the chapel. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Brand? This is a church plan. You're going to go plant other churches? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's our prayer. By God's grace, we began supporting missionaries during our first ministry here uh, that first summer in 2018. We took on the Garrisonmall family, which by God's grace we no longer support because they're self-supported. They, they revitalized the church or took over a church in Alaska. And then later on that year, we took on the Dawson Todd family, whom you all gave towards their special offering to put air conditioning in their building as they serve over in Thailand. And every single year since that point, the Lord, has, by His grace, has allowed us to take on at least one missionary. We support the Valets in Uruguay. We support the Stevens family uh, that are on their way to North Africa. We support the Evans family that are in Africa currently. But the support from those churches, uh, us and other churches, allow those individuals to go out and impact a community that we could never reach. Because God hasn't called us there. But we can support those whom God has called. The Pena family going to Atlanta. We praise the Lord that God hasn't called us to Atlanta. It's hot there. Even worse than Chapel Hill. (laughs) So we pay for them to go. Right? And plant the church. I shared this story before. I'll share it again. When I was raising funds, uh, the Lord had just called us, or or at least we just stepped out in faith to be able to go and plant the church. And and many of you that are familiar with ministry knows that uh, this doesn't exist unless you have funds. And as a church planter, you have no congregation to be able to to tie to your church. And so you go and you present the ministry, which a lot of you have done. That's done missions work. And so I remember I needed this certain amount, a certain figure. I don't even remember what it was at that particular time, but I needed this amount in order to pay for the startup costs, things like a trailer to carry the equipment, things like that. And I remember presenting the ministry and, and to other churches, and it seemed like everything was kind of slow growing. And, and I called my dad and I said, listen, you know, Dad, this is where I am. I, you know, I know God's going to provide. I just don't know when. I just don't know how. I hung up the phone with my dad after he offered some encouragement, and just within moments, a man by the name of Stan has called me and, and offered his services. He, he started a business, and God blessed in a great way. He said, what do you need? <laughs> what do you need for this church plant? So I told him, and God, through Stan Hess, provided the exact funds that we needed in order to continue on with the ministry. What God did is he showed his grace to me, but he used Stan Hess to be the vehicle so that I could see it. As we journey now into our third year of ministry at the chapel, we have seen God do things in many tremendous ways here just this year alone. 
But I don't want our church to become a stagnant church. Numerical growth in and of itself does not equate a, or a healthy church. God has certainly done great things this year. Just to kind of give this into perspective, the average attendance for the chapel was 38 people at the beginning of this year in January. Right now, we are upwards now, if you were to include the kids, of 60 people. 60 people, 38 to 60 in just nine months. That does not count our online attendance. That is a 58% growth rate in less than a year. Praise God. Praise God that people are coming and they're being added to the church. And that has nothing to do with us. That's all God. But just because we have an increase in our attendance does not mean that we have it all figured out as a church. Numerical growth is not the definition of a healthy church. Well, what is? What's the definition of a healthy church? You don't have to flip there. But in Acts chapter 2, towards the tail end of that chapter, we see that the church was officially launched, right? It was, it was officially planted. Uh, they didn't even know exactly what it looked like, but Peter had just preached a message of, of salvation, and people responded. They repented of their sins. And then it goes on to say in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, those that gladly received his word, they were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And then it says they continually steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And not, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone that had need. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So what is a spiritual healthy church? Well, it's a church that's saved. It's a church that is presenting the gospel and people are coming to the Lord. There are churches out there that, that are not the biblical definition of a church because majority of the congregation, they don't even know Christ as our Lord and Savior. So a church, first off, is a saved church. Then they're an obedient church. When he talks about how they were baptized, that's the first step of obedience. You're saved, you follow Christ, and then you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I've counseled teens when I was a youth pastor, and they said, well, I need to pray about you know, what the Lord has for me to do about baptism. That's not anything to pray about. Once you receive Christ, the Bible says, be baptized. It is an evidence that you are now a follower of Christ. It is a discipling church. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, and it's a caring church. They fellowship together. It's a praying church, but it's also a reproducing church. And so by God's grace, I pray that the chapel fits this biblical definition of a church. But as we gather together here this morning, what I would like to do is just take a few moments and lay out the specific vision that God has had for us that has really been on my heart since we planted the church here in Chapel Hill. Before I share my vision, I do have to start off with this. My vision is just my vision. Nothing can happen outside of the sovereign will and plan of God. We can plan all day long by seeking God's face, but God can change it whenever he wills for it to change. And so just because I say this is what I have a vision for does not mean that it will exactly happen the way I believe it will happen now. Because God can change however God wills for it to change. So everything I'm about to share with you this morning comes from this preface. Not my will, God, be done, but yours be done. I've said this once and I will say it again. My vision for the chapel is not to become a large church. Now, I want to I kind of explain that here a little bit. That doesn't mean that I want it to be us four no more. My vision for the chapel is to become a reproducing church. I'm not saying that large churches are bad. I'm not saying that they're wrong. We have been greatly impacted by large congregations. Many of you have been directly impacted by large churches in which God has blessed in a tremendous way. There are many large churches out there that continuously make an impact, but I don't believe that God has personally called me to plant a large church. 
I believe that God has called me in a planted church that plants other churches. And so what does that look like? Rich, if you could take uh, those bookmarks at this time, and let's go ahead and pass those out and, and um, make sure that everybody gets one. We have enough for that. But these are bookmarks that I handed out at the beginning of the year during our Vision Sunday. Majority of you have never received one of those, but I want you to get one of those so you can kind of have an idea of our prayerful five-year plan. We certainly say prayerful because we are trusting in God's plan throughout this entire process. But you'll see as you receive that card there, the last two points is really our goal for church planting. Our goal for the chapel is to live as basic as we can so that we can reproduce ourselves by planting other churches and other needy areas. So it's with that thought in mind that our prayerful goal, if God allows it to be the case, as that we grow up to about maybe three or 400 people, if, again, if God allows us to get that big, and then once we're running about that size there, we train up a pastor and his family that have been called to plant a church, and we send them out, and we take portions of the people in our church that feel that call to go with them and plant another church. And with this goal in mind, what we do is we see several benefits. First off, it allows people to use their gifts in areas that have a great need. And I'm going to use several of you here this morning as an examples for that. Hinton's is going to be kicking off this first example here. Uh, Garth and Becky, uh, Garth especially, grew up on the mission field. And they both grew up serving in the ministry. They started attending our church back in January, I think it was. February, maybe. Some, sometime earlier this year. Didn't know who we were, but God did. God directed them to our church, and many of you know that we've, uh, had, we have very talented people in our church as far as music goes, but it was a difficulty to find that music leader that could really take it to that next level. And so as soon as Garth and Becky came, we got to know them for about a week. The, the question came up, do you guys know music? Yes. Okay, great. Come on over for dinner. I've got a ministry opportunity for you. Got to know them. They prayed, and they felt like, hey, this is somewhere we can invest. And now their entire family is serving in the church. When we plant other churches, what it does is it takes the gifts, and many of you have tremendous gifts in this church, and it takes those gifts of those people, and they plant it in another area that is in a great, tremendous need. What else does it do? It keeps the gospel in the forefront of our minds. There's a need here in this area. Let's go plant a church. It keeps our personal expenses down. And I've talked about this with several of you before, by diverting money to church plants in needy areas. One of the side effects of having a large building and a large church is a lot more expenses. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to spend $50,000 on an HVAC system. I don't. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that's wrong, that a large church does that. But I'd rather take those funds and, and, and divert it to another church plant somewhere else. And we keep our buildings smaller and keep things as simple and as basic as we possibly can. It prevents stagnation and comfortability that can come in a large church. We can check in, right? And some of you have told me this. You're going to a large church, but you felt like you were just kind of blending in. And you wanted to go somewhere else where you were not necessarily held accountable, but where you could just jump in and serve. When a church plant, I took a picture of Kaysen yesterday. He was sitting back there where Bryce was on the computer just messing around. And I took a picture and I put it on my uh, Facebook page. And I said, listen, at a church plant, we use everyone to serve. And you all know what that's like. You can't rest in a church plant. But it also produces a sense of urgency to a world that so desperately needs Jesus. If you were to do a study through the church planting manual, it's called the book of Acts, you will quickly see that churches plant churches. In Acts chapter 13, what we see is the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas through the church of Antioch. 
In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had also been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands upon them, and they sent them away. And it was a church in Antioch that commissioned Paul and Barnabas to be the missionaries to go out and plant churches. And so my prayerful goal, as you see there on your card, is at the end of 2025, the chapel has identified through prayer and began the process of training a pastor to plant another church, either here in our community or wherever God is calling them to do. Whether that church is here or wherever God leads, my prayer is that we would be in the process of planting another church. But after that pastoral training and mentorship has been accomplished, my prayer is that God would lead that pastor to his family to an area that has a tremendous need for the gospel. And my prayer is that God would raise up couples, singles, families, retirees within our church to help that pastor go and plant and impact that community for Christ. The church needs more people like Tim and Alina. How they used to be, maybe not Tim now. Just kidding. When we first started the church, we were several months into it, and we had chartered, and that was the, the charter service was the first time Tim and Alina came to our church. They had been new to the area. They were attending a large church in the area, uh, but they had not quite found that church home. And I remember having them over, like what us good pastors do. We have you over. We recruit you, right, to come help us be a part of our church. So we started talking. We started expressing our needs. And at that time, I mean, we, were, we had other people that were helping us, of course, but we knew we needed some more people. We didn't have a, a family we only had like one other family that had kids that were coming to our church. And I'll never forget, it was a couple of weeks after that, Tim was over at our house. He had gone and he had helped us pass out flyers. And he was standing in my driveway at our house that we had first rented when we moved here. And I remember him saying, my wife, Alina, and I talked and we were at the church and they were planting other churches in other countries, which is great. But we want to help a new church that's here in our community that so desperately needs Jesus. And that day they left the church that they were attending and they joined our church a few months afterwards, and they have been a tremendous, tremendous impact for our community. Not only just church attendees, but friends. And my prayer is that the chapel sends people to other areas to be that same type of blessing that they were to us. And so uh, if you could take your Bibles with me for just a few moments this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 28, what I'd like to do is share with you Three foundational truths, or core, I don't know, core values is even the right word, but really three foundational truths that, that really lays the chapel church planting network as the foundation. And none of this is rocket science. It's something we hear probably at multiple admissions conferences, but it's a good reminder for all of us. And so the first point that we're going to look at here this morning, when planting a church, when establishing this Chapel Hill church, or the chapel church planting network, whatever you want to call it, the first thing we have to keep in mind is we must reach out. We must reach out. Church planting begins with making disciples. It begins with making disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, it's the final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Towards the tail end, Jesus is giving the final words before his ascension. He lays it out in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, by really laying out uh, the authority that he has to make the statement that he's getting ready to make. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. In other words, I have complete authority to say what I'm about to say. And in verses 19 through 20, Jesus delivers the foundational command for Christians, and we call this the Great Commission. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. This is the most basic command of Christianity. Go tell people about Jesus. That's the most basic command of Christianity. Go tell people about Jesus. And this is the foundational, one of the foundational reasons why we exist as a church. Because we want to tell people about Jesus. One of the things we have to be careful about when it comes to church planting, and Joaquin, you'll maybe not be as tempted to do this as much as I was, but to think about church planting in the business aspect. Now, in all reality, a church plant, a, a church has to be run. There's business elements in it, of course. But the temptation is to take out all the demographics and see, okay, where are the type of people that live here? And, and, and all these demographics you're searching and you're trying to really pinpoint where God is calling you to go, which is great. But we end up making it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. When in reality, churches are planted in communities that are responding to Jesus Christ. If you were to look all throughout the book of Acts, we see that they weren't started by this huge conference and raising all these funds. The Apostle Paul literally went into a city and started telling people about Jesus. They got saved. Boom, a church was planted. We see this in Acts chapter 16. We see the church of Philippi being one of the most vibrant churches that was founded by the Apostle Paul. This is how it started. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, Therefore sailing now from Troas, we went straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city, that part of Macedonia. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and we spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us and boom, the church of Philippi was founded. It wasn't complicated. He went out and told people about Jesus. They responded and the church is planted. When it comes to the vision of planting churches here in Chapel Hill, we must never get distracted at where God has initially called us to, and that is here. In this community of Chapel Hill, some of you uh, have, have, have jokingly said that our church needs to go to Durham because that's where a lot of people live. Absolutely not, okay? That's where God has called us to Chapel Hill. But the joke is most people that live in Chapel Hill are like me and my family, okay? God has called us here. Now, of course, whoever we impact outside of that, that's by God's grace. But God has called us to Chapel Hill to impact the community for Christ. On Friday, as I was sitting, actually at that particular time, I was walking around the church and I was cleaning it and preparing it for Friday night. Um, I had an older lady come around the corner and knock at the door. And so I, I let her in and my wife and the kids were just getting here for lunch. And she began to talk to me about how she saw the church. And she wanted to meet me. She goes to another gospel preaching church. It's solid here in the community. But for whatever reason, she felt compared, compelled to come to me to tell me about a man that lives right across the street whom she was working with that was asking questions about the Bible. And she didn't fully know how to answer those questions. And so she came across the street to ask me if I had any information to share with this man who was searching. I don't know why she didn't go back to her other church, but she came here which shows me that there is a tremendous need right across the street for people that need the gospel. And people in our community know to come here through God's leading to help us reach them. And so there's an absolutely tremendous need, and may we never, never forget that. But again, this foundational step is not rocket science. To plant churches, we must start with reaching others. But once people receive Christ, 
They have to go through this training process, and that's called discipleship, which leads us to our next point. We reach out, but point number two, once we reach out and people respond, we train up. Church planting develops by training up spiritual leaders. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That teaching there is that discipleship. It's a spiritual growth that takes place within believers. Now, I purposely use the word leader because every single Christian is commanded to lead. We call that discipleship. A seasoned Christian is commanded to invest in the lives of those that have not been saved for very long. Even though you may not be a leader from a point of position, that doesn't mean that you can't lead someone. Do not allow the excuses to get in the way of fulfilling your role of a disciple maker. Our churches absolutely need seasoned Christians that come alongside and they help young believers. If a church is filled with a bunch of young, immature Christians, the discipleship process will be extremely difficult for the pastor. When we first started the church, they are no longer with us. They had moved out, but the Lord led an older couple named Russ and Sheila May to our church. Many of you know who they are. They were on their way to retirement. I don't know if Russ still, he's officially retired from his job, but he's still doing another one. He'll, he'll never be a person that stops. But they were an older couple that uh, did not want to live out their retirement years in the comfort of the church that they were attending. Great church. Said, so, you know what? There's a young couple here that could use our help. And they didn't let the notion of he's a young church planter. He's uh, extremely stylish, as you can tell. So they would not want to use an older person because a lot of people can think that way. They said, you know, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to go and I'm going to help this young couple plant the church. And can I tell you how much of a tremendous impact they were to us in the discipleship process? They were an older couple. And as they left, I, I, I thanked them for it. But then I realized churches need older Christians. We need older Christians. Do not let this notion of I can't do anything for God. I can't live. Not that I can't live for God. I can't invest in a church plan. I'm too, I'm too old. They're not going to listen to me. <laughs> that, that cannot be further from the truth. We need older people. You may ask yourself, well, how can I train up spiritual leaders? Well, first off, pray for them. But never underestimate the power of prayer, but also talk with them. Even though they may be biblically smarter as an older person, you are wiser when it comes to life. There is a reason why Oscar is teaching the parenting class. Because not only does he know the biblical role of parenting, but he has life experiences to share. Well, we can learn from that. We praise God for that, and we need that practical wisdom. As Christians, don't ever come to church with this mindset of, what am I going to get out of church today? What am I going to get out of church? I'm going to go to church, and what can I get out of it? Whenever we come to church with that mindset, that's how a church becomes stagnant. How can a church serve me? Our mindset should never be serve me, but how can I serve others? How can I invest in others? Don't ever stop serving God. You never know what God may be doing in the heart of that person whom you're investing in. As we continue to pray for the church planting vision here at the chapel, may God, or he may save someone right here in our community that ends up being that next church planter. How awesome would it be if God decided to use you to help train up that next disciple? for Jesus Christ. You know what the chapel needs? It needs more Aquilas and Priscillas. The story of those two friends of Aquila and Priscilla, they, they were friends of the Apostle Paul, is told in Acts chapter 18. Aquila was a Jewish Christian and his wife Priscilla. They first met Paul in Corinth and they became good friends of his and they shared in his work. They were all tent makers together. Paul lived with them for a little while. But after a year and a half, Paul left for Ephesus and he took Aquila and Priscilla with them. 
And the couple stayed in Ephesus when Paul left, and they established a church there in their home. But at that time, an eloquent preacher by the name of Apollos came through Ephesus. You all know the name Apollos. He ended up taking over the work of the Apostle Paul. He was mighty in the scriptures, but the Bible says that he only knew the baptism of John. This means Apollos knew that Christ came and he fulfilled John's prophecies, but he did not know the significance of Christ's death and resurrection and the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit or the mystery of the church containing both the Jews and the Gentiles. And so as he eloquently spoke, Aquila and Priscilla and there who were not uh, in ministry, they were just lay leaders like many of you are in here. They understood the teachings of Paul, and they heard what Apollos was saying. And so what they did is they took Apollos' side, and they invested in him. This pastor, the Bible records it in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. It says, Now a certain man named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, a mighty man in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Our church needs Aquilas and Priscillas. So what do we do? What's our core values here, our core foundation? We reach out, we train up, and as people grow in this discipleship process, God may call some of them to the ministry, which leads us to our final point here this morning. We send forth. We send forth. Church planting grows by sending forth laborers. Turn back to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll close with this passage here this morning. In Matthew chapter 9, we see a glimpse of this compassion that Jesus has for the people. Towards the tail end of Matthew chapter 9, what we do is we, we receive really the historical account of Jesus going from village to village, and he's healing, he's ministering to people. And then you see this glimpse into the heart of Jesus as he looks out, he sees the tremendous amount of needs. Jesus being God himself, the Son of God, recognized that the need that was out there in front of him was overwhelming. And so therefore he delivers one prayer request, the only prayer request that Jesus has ever given in all of Scripture. And this is what he says. He said to the disciples in verse 37, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. The only prayer request that he ever had to deliver, Jesus says, pray that God would raise up more laborers for the work of the gospel. It was this very passage that was preached by my pastor in 2016 that God used to get me out of my chair and move. It was at that moment that I realized, as Pastor Joaquin shared yesterday, that for me to remain a youth pastor would be a sin. Well, why? Because I knew that for me to stay there, and I was comfortable, large church, I had a paycheck that I never had to worry about. Not that I worry now, but it was, it was, everything was secure. I could have stayed there. But I knew that if I refused to do what God called me to do, which was leaving and planting a church, I would not be following the call of God. I'm not saying that God has called everyone in this room to plant a church and become a missionary, but he may be calling someone in here. He may be moving in someone's heart. He may be calling someone that's watching on live stream this morning. And so the question for you is this, church. If God is calling you, then what in the world are you waiting for? I would hate to lose anyone in our church. 
But if we lose them for the sake of the gospel, I will be your biggest cheerleader. As we close this morning, my prayer for the vision of church planting here at Chapel Hill is that it's clear. We start by reaching out, sharing the gospel. We develop by training up disciples and spiritual leadership development. We grow by sending forth laborers. As we continue to see the development of these funds raised, and we'll talk about this in just a few more moments, our goal for next year is to raise $12,000 again for our missionaries. That's $1,000 a month to support our missionaries. But we are asking for you as a church family that you would pray about a commitment that you can make above and beyond or outside your tithes and offerings to your missionaries once a month. Hey, this is a commitment I'm going to make for this year for once a month, whether it be $20, whatever the Lord lays upon your heart, you stick by that commitment and you give to our missions program. As we continue to grow, as you saw there on your card there, my prayer is at the beginning of 2024 that we set a budget of $50,000 to go towards our missionaries. That's increasing our budget every single year by roughly $12,000. And as you can see, by 2025, my prayer is that we officially launch the Chapel Church Planting Network. We take those funds 50% goes towards our missionaries. The other 50% goes towards investing and planting churches here at a Chapel Hill. So, well, that's a huge feat. Now, with God, it's not. You may ask yourself, well, what can I do? I certainly can't do much, you may be thinking. Well, maybe you, you don't think you can, but God certainly can do a lot through you. He can take your finances and he can impact millions. He can take your wisdom and your willingness and he can impact millions. I want to close with this final story. We can show that picture, Garrett. In the year of 1854, a 17-year-old boy was working at a shop in Detroit. He was working at a shoe shop, and he happened to be in a, a Sunday school class of this gentleman here. His name is Edward Kimball. He was in the Sunday school class, and this boy apparently was a, a handful, like most of us young boys are. And so this Sunday school teacher, who not many people knew, he just worked a job and just served faithfully in the Sunday school class, goes to this little boy, and he says, I'm worried about you. One day was at, while he was at work. He begins to share the gospel with this boy once again, and the boy responds and receives Christ. That boy's name was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, as you all know, became one of the greatest evangelists of all time, and I want to unpack this for us here just a little bit. D.L. Moody went on to lead a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord during one of his evangelistic meetings. J. Wilbur Chapman went on to lead the great Billy Sunday to the Lord during one of Chapman's meetings. Billy Sunday went on to lead Mordecai Ham, and we can show that picture there, Garrett, to the Lord during a Billy Sunday meeting. Mordecai Ham went on to lead the great Billy Graham to the Lord. Millions and millions of people were impacted by the gospel that can all be traced back to a faithful Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. And it's true, we may not all grow up to be Billy Grahams or Billy Sundays or Fanny Crosbys. We may not all lead millions of people to the Lord, but we can all be an Edward Kimball. We can all serve in a way in which God has called us to serve, and it may not look like a huge impact now, but you never know what God may do through you, through your giving, through your faithfulness, through your serving God can take a faithful man like Edward Kimball and he can multiply the fruit so therefore it impacts millions and millions and millions of people for the Lord. And so with that thought in mind, we train, we reach, and we send forth for the sake of the gospel. 